0: They said I could have a little in a cup. I said, if you can't have all water, one, no one eat you. Uh, one drink, they one call so so well, <laughs> <laughs> me or <laughs> <laughs> so. I've got a brother who <laughs> can that. have no two tablespoons
1: of water. He has no kidding. He's on that machine three times. And he time. can't drink over two tablespoons <laughs> of water. And quick. Wow. Oh, no. now, what do you think makes it happen? His wife passed away and he eats camel soup. He eats camel soup every night. Mm-hmm. It's easy to make. Just dump it out again. The, the salt is shedding chimneys in him. He has no chimneys. They're talking nuts. That's what my mom said like, to say. Jesus. Yeah, but
0: Yeah. I <laughs> got rid of trying, trying to bring the laptop in, thought I'd just use my phone. That's a good
1: idea. Is it, is it not lined up
0: right? It? It, it looks crooked. No, it'll. I. I don't know if I can adjust it the way I want it. When I stand here, it looks like it's tilted. Tilted.
1: Oh
0: well, it'll work. Stand over here, you can see how it looks. Crooked. It doesn't look level. It's a little bit off. It's pretty low. I think it'll be okay. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. All right, well, we'll run with that. See Anybody complain? We've talk to those. <laughs> What's that? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, and, uh, a couple of things. I don't have uh, usually Brian sends out an email with things that he wants to mention but he didn't send them today but I will mention this youth camp is uh, 8th, uh, August the 2nd through the 6th and um, that uh, that's coming up so I don't know if anybody's here going to be involved in but I'm sure that uh, Luke would appreciate any help if you he could help. I don't know exactly what he needs but you might want to talk to him or if you know somebody that has a, a that, that might uh, profit from going to the camp, but to let them know that they, and they're all welcome. It's not just HBF students, it's anybody really. So they're welcome to go to that. Um, we're going to clean the church the, the, 20, the weekend of the 25th, which is I think the last weekend of the month, so probably on Friday. That's next That's week. Next week. That's next week? Yeah. What? This Friday. Yeah. Okay, this Friday. Okay. well, it's the last weekend. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't say anything wrong. It kind of sounded in the distance, so, you know. Okay, well, anyway, we're cleaning church. So if you can help, that'd be great. So,
1: Randy, can I say something real quick? A couple of us might come on Thursday night, which I know is a little early, because we're going to go to Iowa that weekend. So we'll try to leave on that. Connections counter what we accomplished. Or We just texted Julie. Yeah,
0: tell you what that'd we be did, fine. That, yeah. That'd, yeah. So the bathrooms and the vacuuming it and the so windows. Okay. If you could take care of the vacuuming, the bathrooms, and for the sure windows.
1: I'm sure doing the bathrooms. That's my favorite. <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> but I have done them. In I the thought race. you were
0: telling the truth when I you said <laughs> it. Some people really like doing that stuff. Oh. <laughs> Me and Judy love them. We
1: love it. I have three at home. <laughs> <laughs> So okay, so, so my next house will have one bathroom
0: that's <laughs> There's a, a men's breakfast coming up uh, well no actually it's already passed. I don't that should have been moved removed. So that's, that was yesterday. Um Brian was talking about the Bible breakfast in August trying to do an extended have a couple of people speaking and you know trying that a little bit, you know, maybe get some more people. Hopefully we have enough people that we have to move out in the general purpose room and the sanctuary or the outside. That would be good. Um, so uh, the Vulcans aren't here this morning, but be in prayer for mm-hmm. Sharon. and She's always um, Dealing with things that are, you know, just uh, her medical situation, and uh, I'm going into details on and all, just to be <coughs> prayer for her and for Bob. Bob's got, uh, you know, I think he's already had his eye surgery. He's got to have his eye surgery, right? The cataract thing. Yeah. He already did. Yeah. He already did. Okay. <coughs> um. And I want to thank. Uh, I forgot to mention last week, or maybe I did, I don't remember, but Bud had uh, surgery on Wednesday. He had a, a stent put in his heart, so he's feeling better. So we we'll mm-hmm. we'll give, give the Lord uh, restart, praise for that. He got, <laughs> he got kick-started again. And, uh, so, uh, so did they put a pacemaker in? No. That stent? They put a stent in uh, like two weeks ago, and they started in my heart, and they stopped it started it Wednesday. Okay. So I you, can't believe they stopped your heart and they can start back going. Yeah, scary. that's a scary thought. They did that. With I didn't
1: I, I, I just, I didn't <laughs> to no
0: Well, you did. You we're <laughs> glad you did.
1: <laughs> hey, but what's, yes. yes. what's scary is when they tell you you need to go get your minister and say goodbye to your father because he may not pull out of it. Oh. And, that's, uh, and then they, because they, half of his heart was not pumping. Yeah.
0: You know, um, and it was
1: pumping blood in his lungs, so they had to stop his heart and start it, so that way it would start pumping. Yeah. My it's... bottom was pumping, my top was so it
0: couldn't push it, it couldn't get it out. Huh. Well, we're thankful that you, you know, got taken care of. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I want to read a text that I got this morning from Betty Arnie regarding uh, Gwynne. Uh, I don't know if you all know everything that's going on with him, but let me just read this. He so he. He's on two different kinds of chemotherapy medicine, medications. He's taking them orally. So it's not through an IV um, or a port or anything, but he's taking them orally and he is having some reactions to the medication. One of them is a really bad rash on her lung and abdomen area. It's very difficult for him, painful. Uh, so they say that, um, they now say the rash is caused by one of the chemo drugs. So he has stepped up the amount of steroid cream the last two days has been much better he's having back pain as well uh, and he's be, which is being controlled uh, and he has extreme fatigue which i can definitely understand that um and he is con- he's convinced this that the doctor he has I'm sorry he has convinced the doctor to let him continue the maximum dosage as long as nothing gets worse at least until the next scan which is uh, he has a, a, a a scan an MRI and and I think that uh, well other MRI that specifically and then some other scans on August 4th that's coming up here pretty quick so then thank you for praying for us and for being in the hands of Jesus to use us this week um, so that's a message from them so just be in prayer for for Wayne. he is it is a wayne has got a good spirit about himself and it's all of this stuff that's going on but it is hard on him And so just keep praying for him
1: Randy, yes. one thing with this, so um, he, he told me that he got some lotion that's helping with the rash. Yeah, that's that steroid yeah. cream. And then um, his blood pressure has just shot up really high, and so they're praying about that.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know if that's all, I'm sure it's all related to the different kind of, two different chemo medicines he's taking right now, and pain medication and, and everything else, so. Um, we went over last Sunday and visited with him for a little bit. He's, you know, like I said, he's in good spirits. Mm-hmm. He seems to be doing well, but he is, he is. There's a lot going on with him, so just keep mm-hmm. keep them in prayer. I asked Betty how she's holding up, and she hasn't responded to that yet. So, it'd be in prayer for Betty too, because that's you know, a load to carry. And, uh, when I was taking the two types
1: of chemo, by court, they upped my blood pressure medicine because it will make your blood pressure
0: go sky high. Well they kept checking my blood pressure and I kept arguing there's not high enough. Okay. I mean, literally I would argue with them even though they said that's high. I said, No, it's not. It's I, I I well I know where my blood pressure should be. I know where it, I just know where it should be. So so I would argue with them, like, no, it's fine. Then they wouldn't give me one medicine one time until I took the high blood pressure med. So they kinda they held me hostage. <laughs> literally they did. It was like Okay, so you're not going to give me what I'm here for until I take the medicine I don't want. Randy
1: That's what the nurses say when they see
0: you. Yeah, that's probably why they're glad I'm gone. Alright, so anyway, uh, we are um, we are in Second Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be looking... Uh, well, before we go there, go to Psalm chapter 57. We're going to read that verses 1 to 11. We'll read Psalm 57, verse 1 to 11. We'll pray, and uh, and then we'll get into the study. The so David says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge unto the Uh, until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto the Lord Most High, unto God, that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie down even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, let thy glory be above the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me in the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Oh, wake up, my glory. Wake up, uh, awake, psaltery and, and, and heart. I myself will awake early. I will praise Thee, O God, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto Thee among the nations, for Thy mercy is great unto the, the, unto the heavens, and Thy truth unto the clouds. Be Thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Thy glory be above all the earth. Father in heaven, Lord, thank You for today. Thank You for this passage as we read it, Lord. It's a reminder, of, Lord, of seeking mercy from You and knowing that mercy does come from You, comes from heaven. We're thankful for that. We do pray, Father, that You would help um, Gwaine deal with the situation he's uh, faced with, Lord, and you would help the uh, medical staff do what they have been trained to do, which is to care for somebody like Wayne. I pray, Father, the medicine would work. I pray the rash would, uh, would uh, dissipate. I pray the pain in his back would uh, ease up. I pray, Father, that you would accomplish great work in, in Wayne, that you would comfort Betty and Wayne, Lord, with the face what they're facing in their entire family as well. Uh, I pray, Father, that uh, you would just continue to take care of Sharon and uh, Bob Vulcan and David. We thank you for their faithfulness and their their love for you. We thank you for what they represent in our church. We're thankful, Lord, for Bud Cross, Lord, and it's his report that he was able to to get his heart taken care of. Lord, what what a miraculous thing that you train humans to do the things that they do. We we'll praying and, and then you put us in their hands, and we trust you for, Lord, for all of those things. We're thankful for that. We want to pray, Father, for the, uh, the things that are coming in the, in the church calendar. Uh, Lord, for the kingdom seekers, for men's conference, men, our men's ministry, and, and other things that are happening in ladies ladies' ministry. Thank you, Father, for the faithful people that we have in our church and the desire to want to glorify you in their lives. In Jesus' name.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this song, this uh, cry from the heart of David um, as he uh, left the the cave uh, where he was fleeing from Saul, Lord. And Whether it be evil men or it be the afflictions of the body or um, principalities and powers that work against us, Lord, we thank you that we can rest in you, we can trust in you. Uh, Lord, help us to have a heart that is, like David, that was um, heart after your heart, Lord, a heart that is um, an attitude of loving your word, listening to your voice, hearing you, and you, Lord, help us to, to take your word, to love it, to live it, and, and to let others um, know about it, and um, to know about you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word that gives us a light, a path, and a way to go, and it protects us uh, in such a powerful way.
0: Now, Lord, as we conclude in prayer again, as we see this passage, we're thankful for your mercy. We do pray, Father, that uh, you would be exalted in our life, that the things that we do would bring you glory, glory and honor, and that uh, you would uh, continue to use us in a mighty way that would um, bring you be a sweet savor to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be primarily verses 5 to 11. Um, So I kind of titled this uh, A Look at Forgiveness because this passage here is is primarily focusing on forgiveness. And so Paul wrote several letters. We've talked about this several times in the past few weeks. Paul has written several letters to the church at Corinth with the the necessity to communicate. What Paul wanted to do was communicate biblical truth to the church, in particular this church, because it had some problems. Uh, I mean, as much as Paul loved this church, they had a lot of problems so he wrote them to communicate biblical truth and the necessity to correct christian conduct and that's where we had to focus on what do we get out of the study what are we getting out of second corinthians and that would be your christian conduct what do you what should you do what should you look like what should you act like and i would say this too uh, any good pastor should desire to correct sin any good pastor should desire to instruct in righteousness and to set the body on a path of proper doctrine and behavior so that they could know the joy and the blessing of God in their own lives, and also be an effective witness. That's, that's kind of like what Brian's, I mean, that's what his whole focus is at, um, in a nutshell, just that statement, that his desire to correct sin in people's lives, and not that he's over overbearing or anything about it, but he's trying to teach us uh, how, to, how to eliminate sin, how to correct sin, how to get it out of our life, and how to live in, in righteousness, uh, and then to set this entire body on a path of proper doctrine, you know, teaching the Bible is extremely important in this church, and um, you know, making sure we teach uh, sound doctrine, and so on. And so we all know our need, really. We know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to reflect His image, we're supposed to reflect His walk, and, our, and, and um, we really also need to update our thinking sometimes we need to change the way we think about things uh, because we have to give what God's mind is what, with the mind of Christ We needs to transform our mind and so we've talked about those kind of things and then we had another just real quickly just as an overview because we talked about the, over the last couple of weeks where we are trying to go with this, this is a big book, this is 13 chapters and so there's a lot here so the first four I think you have them in your hand out there, chapter 1 Paul begins to lay out the foundation of what our ministry is truly about Which is what he what he called grace and truth. Or I'm sorry, grace and peace in verse one, I believe it is. In chapter two, which is where we're at right now, Paul addresses how we must communicate love for others, and is equally how to forgive and why to forgive. And that's what we're gonna kinda focus on today. What is what is this thing about forgiveness? How does that actually play out? What does it look like? How should we do it? Why should we do it? Chapter three, which we'll get into in a couple of weeks, because we're still not done with chapter two yet. But chapter 3, it will guide us in how ministry should demonstrate the glory of God. Because that is what we're supposed to be doing, demonstrating the glory of God, so people can be drawn to God. Because everything that we do, it should be a, basically a pipeline. I think I, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but I, uh, I heard a pastor say just at a conference I was at a, week, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, our job is to, in, to bring people and connect them to Christ. And so that's what we're, thats part of what Chapter Three is about. He says in Second Second Corinthians Chapter Three Verse Nine, "If the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory." So there's an exceeding that we should that we should strive for. And then when we get to a Chapter Four, takes everything that he has written so far, grounds it in some very specific doctrinal statements that guide our actions in ministry. He says in Chapter Four Verses Two and Three but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to hide the gospel. We should never hide the gospel. We should never... Now, how do you hide... I don't know too many people that intentionally hide the gospel. But... Our life can be a, a life that 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 does hide it, and that's what Paul's talking about okay so this letter uh, kind of gives us two things that Paul is trying to accomplish it would be an encouragement to the Saints as I think is one of your blanks and be, an, be to be an example to the lost so those two things that's what Paul's focusing on okay so when we get to first Corinthians chapter second Corinthians chapter chapter 1 verse uh, Chapter two. I'm sorry. I'm looking at my nose and it doesn't make sense. Um, what we looked at last week. Well, what what I referred to as the um, the look of a Christian, their attitudes, and asked the question, "What is an attitude?" And everybody kind of laughed you know, because we all know what we you know the negative way what we're talking about. But we ha- we all do need to have an attitude of a Christian. So while the world at- the word attitude is not a Bible word, the concept is. And so we talked about that. The word points to a to a point of uh, a point of view. What is your attitude? Is what? How do you view things? What do you look? How do you see it? And and or it's an approach to something. How do you approach things? So an attitude is a way of thinking or feeling about someone or something that reflects your behavior. It reflects in your behavior. How you treat person. How you think. How you see a person. How you how you see the church. How you see. The community all those things that you develop an attitude and it's reflected in your behavior towards that person or that thing and so the attitudes that we looked at we looked at actually five of them that i numbered out specifically without going back into them i'll just give you a quick list of what they were we talked about love i'm sorry on loyalty honesty reliability authentic and that's the word i have a hard time with being authentic easier to say it that way sensitive pure and charitable and Paul said, he told the church in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. So all of those things, that attitude, that of those seven things that we talked about last week, that is how you let your conversation become uh, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, as a representation of or re- recognition of Christ. Uh, but there was one more, and, and uh, so I, I said seven, and then I actually gave you an eighth one last week, if you recall. And that eighth one was what we're going to expand on today. That eighth one was forgiveness. So, um, it, uh, really, you take the first seven and you put put number eight on it, which was forgiveness, and you can really see how everything is connected. And Paul says in the church in the to Ephesians, he said in verse four, chapter four, verse thirty-two, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you the foundation of forgiveness is in that verse. There's another verse, too, that is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. In Colossians 2, 13 says, "...and you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses." The fact is, you've been forgiven. We are all, we're thankful for that, amen? That we have been forgiven, that God forgave us, uh, simply because we asked Him to forgive us. And so the bulk of the rest of the chapter addresses the subject of forgiveness in relation to a man who has committed a sexual sin as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or chapter 5 1 Corinthians chapter 5 we'll go there and read that here shortly but let me just start off with this idea Verse, let's read first verses 5 to 11 in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to get the context of where we're going Paul writes, he says but if any have caused grief he hath not grieved me but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrariwise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one shall be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things verse 10 says to whom you forgive anything I forgive also for if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices and so that's where we're going to kind of camp out in those, in those few verses there so it, most people believe most people teach that what Paul the person that Paul is referring to in these in these verses, six verses here, is the guy that he, he was writing about in First Corinthians chapter 5. And so uh, now that person that he's talking about uh, has responded to the discipline that was imposed on him. And so Paul now is writing the church again to counsel them because the, apparently the, the church at Corinth is the extremist. They do it all the way one way or they do it all the way the other way. But they can't find a place in the middle to be, have grace and peace in their life and so Paul has to write them again in this, in this second letter uh, that we have possessed, uh, in our Bible he has to write them again to get them, to get them straight on this again one more time he wants to write them to the church to forgive him because that's all it was ever wanted remember the whole issue about what we would call church discipline why do we church somebody well because we hate them that's why we can't stand them we want them out of our presence no that's not why we do that we do that because we're trying to correct sin, and once sin is corrected, what should we do? Receive them back into our our, our 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 fellowship. And Paul is saying you haven't done that yet, and it's time to deal with that. And so you need to forgive. And so there's a lot in that in those six verses that we read. He doesn't come directly out and say it, but he says, you know, he hasn't hurt me. He hasn't he hasn't wronged me too bad. Let's deal with it. Let's get, let's get it right. And so, um, what is the meaning of forgive? It's an interesting word, you know, to think about what is what are we trying to say here, the meaning of forgive. Forgiveness is what is a wonderful and is a powerful reality for everybody, whether they're saved or not. Forgiveness is something that everybody eventually will find themselves on one side or the other of the issue of forgiveness. Either they need to be forgiven, or they need to forgive. Every person, no matter who they are, no matter what their background is, they're, they're going to find themselves on one side of the coin or the other of the issue of forgiveness. Maybe all of you have been on both sides at some point in your life where you know you should have forgiven that person and you will not do it. Or you know that you, you, you've asked for them 30 times, please forgive me. And the answer is, I'll think about it. Or something along those lines. I mean, we've all been there, I think, to, to some degree. I would say it's not wrong to claim that forgiveness is the most noble act that one sinner can do for another sinner. It's the most noble act that you can do for another person is to forgive. It's been said that forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the Christian home and the Christian church running smoothly. Forgiveness is the oil that keeps everything moving without, without friction, without, without blockage, without stoppage. Uh, you need to you need to lube up the church. Um, nothing mo- is more important than uh, in in the life of the home of the church than forgiveness. It's used the word forgive or, or derivative of that is used over sixty times in, in the New Testament, one hundred and fifty times just in the whole Bible is the word or the concept of being uh, forgive. In general, to forgive simply means to let go. Let go. Uh, let go of an obligation. It means to remit uh, or to cancel or to set aside or to repeal a like debt or an offense towards us. Something is, so, you're holding on to something, maybe rightfully so at the beginning. You need to, you need to do it at, at, at some point, but at some point, you just need to not, and I'll talk about forgive, forget, the thing you're doing, but, but the issue of letting, letting an obligation go, cancel that obligation, set it aside, Peel a debt or an offense that was towards you, basically to pardon. Turn over to uh, Psalm chapter 103. This is how God says it. I think it's actually David who wrote it. But in Psalm 103, starting in verse 8. We'll read down through verse 12. Verse 8. David writes, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. This is a really this is David's description of God's forgiveness. Verse, uh, verse nine. He is all he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as as far, as far as the east is from the west, so far, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. That that was David's description of God's mercy, His forgiveness. When when you said, "Oh God, please save me," I "Forgive me, God, save me," what He did. Everything that David writes in that passage is what David did. So forgiveness. Let me just say this: forgiveness is not a benefit. Forgiveness is not to benefit the one suffering. So if somebody hurt me, and, and we need to get things right, forgiveness is not for my benefit, forgiveness instead is for to restore the sinner that has caused the pain in my life, to restore them back to fellowship, with me, with the church, with the body, with Christ, that's what fellowship is about, I'm sorry, for, uh, forgiveness, forgiveness is also not forgetting, you probably have heard people say, maybe you've said it yourself, <clears throat> forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. And that sounds great. But you know what? That's not actually a biblical position. I'll explain why I say that here right now. You may have heard that, but it's not a possibility to intentionally force upon yourself sanctified amnesia. You cannot make yourself forget something. Have you ever tried to make yourself forget because as soon as you try to make yourself forget, you're remembering. Yeah. So you can't force amnesia on yourself. Uh, and so um, it's not possible to do that. And here's the thing. God does not forget either. God does not forget our our transgression. Instead, He chooses what God... Look over at Hebrews chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 8 and also in chapter 10, there's two places there where, God, where it says that God chose not to remember... <laughs> and there's an there's a important part of that it's not just that he has amnesia anymore Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more now that's important he says I'm not going to remember and I've just told you that you can't have amnesia so am I saying that God has amnesia no that's not what's happening here Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17 and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more okay so here's the thing God doesn't have one of those slap your head, slap yourself in the forehead moments. He's like, "Oh, I just remembered." It's not that's not how God did this. Uh, in Genesis, go back to Genesis. Now go to Genesis chapter eight, verse one. This is the first time when we hit when we see the issue of forgiveness. Uh, is that right? I think that's what I want to get to. Anyway, Gen- Genesis chapter eight, verse one. God remembered Noah and every living thing on all, and all the cattle that was on him and the, with, with him on the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters of So it says that God remembered Noah. Now God, God remembered Noah doesn't mean that he's like, oh, I forgot that guy's hanging out there in a boat. I totally forgot that. I was paying attention to the other planets I built and I forgot what Noah was. That's not what that means. He didn't just remember him. This is what he did. he he remembered Noah, basically what that that phrase he remembered, he chose to act. He already knew about Noah. He didn't forget Noah. God doesn't forget. God doesn't have a mind that forgets things. But he did say, now it's time to act. Noah has been floating around out there for for a year. It's now time to act. What did he do? He brought up a wind and he caused the waters to be blown off of the earth so that they could be back on dry ground again. God remembered Noah and chose to act on Noah's behalf as opposed to forgetting, because when you forget, that's actually a refusal to act. Forgetting is a refusal to act. So if God... God wouldn't have forgot, God would just refuse to act, or He would have delayed in His actions or something like that. At the same time, now I just said forgiving is, you know, you can't forgive and forget, but at the same time, forgiving... Is actually the same word as forgive. Forgiving is the same word as forgetting. It's the same thing, but it's not you just forgive and forget. We are forgiven of God when He no longer holds our sins as a charge against us. Right? The person forgiving will not continue to hold that sin against the wrongdoer, the evildoer, the sinner, even when while still remembering what happened. You you'll never forget what somebody did to you. But are you going to just say, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm just not going to hold on to that anymore. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. That's what that's what God did for you. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Um, and so, another the, so the question that people ask is, can, can someone who has not confessed or repented or asked for forgiveness be forgiven? And the answer is yes and no. So, it really kind of depends. The one wrong may forgive in order to not be plagued with the hatred of the wrongdoer. Sometimes people say, you know, I'm just going to forgive you so I don't have to deal with you anymore in my life. That's fine. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, uh, forgiveness is not for the benefit of the victim. You're not... Typically, forgiveness is not the benefit of yourself. It's the... It's, the, uh, it's to restore the sinner. In some cases, an expectation of... Re- Restoration to them. So, one other thing about forgiveness that people don't really think about is forgiveness is a promise. Forgiveness is a promise. It is a promise from God to you as a repentant sinner, uh, to the one who comes to him with a broken and a contrite heart, the one that affirms his his own desperate need to God, his own sinfulness, and reaching out for the provision of Jesus Christ. It is the promise that God, to the sinner, that he will bring you into his family and you will be saved forever. That's a promise. God says you ask for forgiveness, I forgive you. So there's no scales to weigh your sin against anything else, is there? God's not going to just weigh all your sin. He'll weigh you, maybe he'll look at you and consider where you're at with Christ, but that's about as far as he'll go. It's a promise that, that no future charge, basically God's promising you this, there's no future potential charge will be laid against you of that which you have been forgiven. It would be like, for example, if God says, you say to God, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved, will you save me? God, please forgive me, save me. And God says, okay, I'll save you. And then just before you die, he says, you know what? You were a sinner when you were born. I can't, I can't receive you. Yeah. That would be turning off that forgiveness. That would be canceling out that prayer. Now God can't do that. God will not do that. So this 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 promise that your sin will never be remembered by God. It will be buried in the depths of the deepest sea. It will be removed as far as the east is from the west. It'll never again be brought up in the mind of God or in the or in heaven either. I remember years and years ago, and I don't remember who the pastor was, but he was preaching, and he used this example. That there's this big bucket. It's kind of like the uh, the uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of what I'm looking at. Um, I hate this when I can't remember stuff. Um, the little ping pong balls uh, where that has got the numbers on them. A lottery, lottery. Thank you. Okay, yeah. See, I don't play the lottery, so I couldn't remember. But anyway, you know, he, it's like he's got this bucket, and all of these ping pong balls are in there, and they're all white, and they're all about you. And then God says, here's a red one. This is your sin. And he buries that red one in the bottom of the bucket. And he can never find it because every time he reaches in there to try to get that red one out, he looks. oh, there's one of Richard. Richard did good. Here's no, Oh, Richard. Richard did good. Richard did good. And he never sees that red one ever again. I just thought that was a pretty cool illustration. Thinking about all of this kind of made me remember it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I think that's a pretty cool illustration to God. I mean, your sin is still in your bucket. It's just your life, right? You're a sinner, saved by grace. That grace is every time he you never see, never gets to the red bucket or to the red ping pong ball because it's at the bottom. Anyway, um, there is no accusation that will ever stand. There's no promise that will ever, that will, that, no circumstances forever will will be condemned. And this is a magnanimous, astounding reality, and it's simply given out at the heart of of the loving and gracious God to a penitent sinner. So when you forgive somebody, when we make a promise that we say we forgive, when somebody asks us to be forgiven, that their sin will never be remembered, never be brought out into the open, it will be removed from as far from the east as to the west, that's how we forgive people as well. We're basically saying... Uh, I forgive you, I don't want to remember that that bad thing that happened between us. I don't even remember what it was called anymore. I just know that it was bad, now it's good and I don't ever want to talk about it again. I don't want to remember it. That's forgiveness. It's Never to be held out against them. No charge against them can ever be successfully laid at our presence. Um, and we'll never reestablish that sin. We'll never re-identify that sin by it to condemn them. That's the promise that we're making when we say, I forgive you. Um, okay, so what are some steps to forgiveness? How do we get to, to the point of being forgiven? First off, forgiveness is connected. If you look at verse 7, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, "So that contrariwise, ye ought rather to forgive him, and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with all with overmuch sorrow." Forgiveness is connected to comfort, in order to avoid anyone from being swallowed up with the sorrow and guilt over over the sin. That that um, he says, not only are you forgiving, you're comforting that person. You're comforting the person. The, 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 the person that hurt you, now you're, you're actually comforting that person that hurt you. you. You know, it's almost like, well, I need to be comforted. They hurt me. It's kind of how we take that, that view. That's kind of where we come from. But this, God is saying, no, you got hurt, you're forgiving, you're forgetting, you're making a promise, that I'll never talk about this again, and try to give comfort to the person that was in sin. When the one who sinned against the other repents... He is open to correction. But if forgiveness and comfort are withheld, further damage to the relationship will result. If I'm not going to comfort the person that hurt me, I'm going to say, I forgive you. I'm going to you know, put your arm around, let's hug, let's shake hands, let's, let's, let's have dinner together, whatever. If I'm not going to extend comfort, I'm actually going to cause the relationship to still continue to suffer. I'm not comforting. And what God wants us to do is comfort. Many times the Holy Spirit does confront, though, people. They need to know their error. They need to know that they made a mistake. And the first thing that's going to happen, or generally happens, is that the, the Holy Spirit, according to John chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, when He is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on Me. So there's, the Holy Spirit does convict of sin. The Holy Spirit does sometimes tell, what you did was wrong. And that's, so especially in a believer's heart they're going to they're hear from the Holy Spirit what you did was wrong and so sometimes though that sinner needs to be confronted by another believer and that's what we, that we have that pattern that, that, that Jesus Christ gave us in Matthew chapter 18 that pattern of how do you address so, so real quickly without going into it in any depth starting in verse 18 chapter 18 of Matthew verse 15 it says go privately to the person and tell, their, tell them their fault Sometimes you got to say, you know what you did was wrong, and that hurt me. I just want to address it with you and get it, get it worked out and just let you know and get it correct. That, so that's, that's Matthew 18, verse 15. This is what we would call getting led up to this thing that we refer to as church discipline. In verse 6 of chapter 18 of Matthew, if you're not successful, what do you do? You take a couple of other witnesses with you. Say, hey, this guy saw you do it too. He knows, he knows that what I'm saying is correct. And so, if that doesn't happen in verse 17, it says, take it to the church. Take that person's behavior to the church. Address that at the church. In verse 18, uh, what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. And in other words, the handling of the sin, if you do it right, is also dealt with in in heaven as well. And so, God gives us his pattern. this is actually what was happening in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when Paul said, you need to address this guy. You need to talk to him. You need to bring in witnesses. You need need to bring him to the church. And then you need to deal with him by putting him out. In fact, I think it says, uh, paraphrasing it, basically turn him over to the destruction of the flesh, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Well, they did that. Another guy is in pain, agony. He's suffering. He wants to be made right. He wants to be right. And then Paul's saying, okay, we'll make you right. We need to deal with that too. Uh, following conviction, once once a person becomes convicted of their sin, what should happen? A request for forgiveness. In Psalm chapter eighty five, eighty six, 86 verse 5. In Psalm 86 verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy until them that call upon thee. God is ready to forgive. He's always ready. You know what? You should be ready to forgive as well. Uh, that, I know that's hard sometimes, but if you've been wrong, you probably ought to... Go ahead and work it out in your own heart. Well, if, he, if we get this right, I'll forgive him. That's the way we should dig it. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we all know 1 John 1, 9, right? That's why we have 1 John 1. If you, if, you, um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, to cleanse us from our sins and what? Uh, to, uh, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's where we need to be as well. Uh, David, indeed, in Psalm chapter 51, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but in David, Psalm, Psalm chapter 51 he basically, this was his his letter to God was his petition for forgiveness from God. And we're real, real quickly, he asked for mercy. He acknowledged his transgression. This is what David did in Psalm fifty-one. He had not, he had not, he asked for mercy. He acknowledged his transgression. He asked not to be cast away, which he's basically saying, "Don't cast me away. Comfort me, God." He's actually asking, "Comfort me." I think that's in uh, I don't know what verse that is, but. He says, cast me out, that's where, that's where you would find a desire for comfort. And then there's a deep personal appeal to restore fellowship between him and God. Because that's ultimately where we're trying to get to, is a reestablishing of fellowship. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, again, which we've read before, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So Paul is very clear in this passage here, that you're forgiven of others is squarely because you have been forgiven. <coughs> Basically, do what God did to you. You should do. You should. I think they pay it forward, that type of thing. You know that concept when God forgave me, so I'm going to forgive other people. I'm going to extend. Isn't that what God looks like? We need to communicate to people that yes, you're a sinner and you need to get saved. But do we just tell you God forgave you? He has forgiven you. All you have to do is just ask for it. And then, and then your your slave is wiped clean. You reestablish a relationship with the Lord. You get saved. You have eternal life, and so on. So you're to you are to forgive one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So how did God forgive us? If you're going to repeat the same manner of forgiveness, then we need to understand His nature of forgiveness. You all know that about forgiveness, and you certainly, in your own mind, have some definition of what forgiveness is. Everybody kind of has an idea of what, what forgiveness actually means. But let's see if it matches what the Bible says about about forgiveness. So there's, I just want to give you real quick three examples in the Bible, and you can probably think of dozens more. But three examples in the Bible of forgiveness. First one, the very first time that we see forgiveness is in Genesis chapter 50, verse 17. Now that's when Jacob had sent word through his sons to Joseph, asking Joseph to forgive his brothers. Genesis 50 verse 17 so shall ye say unto Joseph forgive I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin for they did unto thee evil and now we pray thee forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father and Joseph wept when they spake unto him and he did forgive them right remember that in fact they were so afraid okay so he just said he forgave us but really once dad's died and he's really gonna he's gonna come he's gonna crack the whip on us but he didn't He maintained that forgiveness. Um, Another time when the forgiveness was requested, remember when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus looked up to the heavens and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said, forgive them. And then another example is in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being murdered for his preaching. He did not seek revenge. Instead, he simply asked that they be not held liable for their sin. It's an interesting thing. I would like to turn over to Acts chapter 7, verse 60. This is the statement that Stephen makes as he's about to die. He's being stoned, and people are yelling and screaming and hollering at him. He's just calling out to God in Acts chapter 70, verse 60. Acts 7, verse 60. He says, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, "Lord, lay not this sin to their charge." And when he said this, he fell asleep. Now it's interesting; he doesn't actually say, "Lord, forgive them," like like Jesus said on the cross. But this is interesting; he doesn't say uh, the idea of forgiveness is still there, the concept of sin is still there. But here's the thing: he's saying, "Don't don't lay their sin at their at their." Uh, lay not this sin to their charge. So what he's saying is, this concept that he's speaking about is, is, to lay their charge, lay the sin at their charge, means that they will be liable to settle the cost of the debt. Lay not this sin at their charge. Don't cause them, God, to have to pay this debt. He's actually saying, the debt needs to be paid. The debt has been paid. Your son paid their debt. Their debt too. So just don't pay their debt. And it's an interesting thing to, to lay their charge basically at their feet, to put their charge at their feet. So, you know what? When you go to the crown, when you go to the cross to get saved, you kind of you're, you're kneeling at the cross, you're kneeling at the feet of Christ, and you're putting your sin there at His feet. You're laying your charge at His feet, and Christ is picking that up, saying, "I'll take that burden." And that's how we get saved. This is why Jesus is said to be our propitiation, our redeemer. He paid the penalty of our sin, which at one time was laid at your foot. But when he, when we cried out to God to forgive us, it was picked up and put at the foot of the cross, and that's and that's how you got saved. The charge of your sin was put at His foot, at His feet, no longer at yours. So, what does the what does forgiveness look like? So, I only got a few more minutes left here. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it through here. I'm going to push, I'm going to try to get all of this done because I don't want to have to come back and repeat half of this again. Just um, for your sake. I am a repeater, I know. Anyway, the look of forgiveness. So in referring to a situation in the church that Paul first addressed in 1 Corinthians 5, we now tell the church, he tells the church, it's appropriate to both forgive and to comfort the one who had been in sin. So, Real, I was going to go back to first Corinthians chapter 5 and read verses 1 to seven uh, I think for the sake of time I'm not going to read that but I, you probably have all read that you know that situation there was sexual sin in the church it was so bad that he was actually uh, having an affair with his stepmother uh, which is it's just a weird thing to happen but not only did that happen with the church the church knew about it not only did the church know about it but the town knew about it And that's how bad it was. Like, well, that's the church where they do that stuff. You know, and and so I won't go to that church because of that church, because of what it is. And so Paul says, you've got to deal with that. The man had committed a sin that makes a mockery of the church. It was also, his sin had defiled the body through vagrant disobedience of the Word of God. And his action defamed the relationship between Christ and the church. He's messing with the marriage situation So he's defaming the relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, The church is supposed to be the body of Christ. You're supposed to be obedient. He's making a mockery of all of this. Basically, his actions fractured the relationship with the church and the Savior. And the church also failed to confront this sin. They didn't... So he did bad. They also did bad because they didn't deal with it. And Paul called them on the carpet about it in 1 Corinthians. They failed to confront the sin, and Paul apparently addressed their... Now we wrote I talked about writing several letters, the, the lost letter, the long letter which is first Corinthians, the lamented letter in between and then the last letter which is second Corinthians. So at some point in there he dealt with the church on that on that man's sin and they they acted uh, but in verse in, in this passage here where it says I think it's in verse five let me see where it's at. Verse nine. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether ye be obedient in all things. So the, the the lamented letter, the third one, he wrote. He says, "You guys are still messing up because you haven't dealt with this. If you have, let me know." And that's true. He sent Titus. Titus finally brought word back to, to Troas and told Paul they got it. They got their act together. They're, they're straightened up, and Paul was very happy to hear that. Okay, so. Um, this passage that we're studying, verses 5 to 11, gives us some reasons and blessings about forgiveness. You know, why should you forgive? Let me give you seven things about why you should forgive. The blessings of, the reasons for, the motives for, whatever you want to call it. But here's seven things about, about the need to forgive. Number one is in verse 6. So read verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. Verse six, actually, let me back up. Well, I'll do verse six. I already said it. Verse six is to show mercy. That's number two. That's number two. Verse six is to show mercy. Paul, in a way, is defending the sinner. Isn't it amazing that Paul? First off, he's he's telling the church go after this guy, deal with him. Now in this letter, he's saying I have to stand in defense of this man. That's where Paul is at. Paul Paul takes no sides. He just calls it like it is. You're in the wrong here. You're in the right here. Get right. And so in this case, he's calling, them, he's calling them out on it. He is defending the sinner because the church had withheld forgiveness. Now think about this. He was excommunicated. Well, the word that we would use is excommunicated. He was church. He was kicked out of the church. And he wants back in. He's desperate. He wants, he wants to reestablish fellowship. And the church said, nah, can't let you in. Nah, that was a bad sin, buddy. I mean, you capped you, you the sin uh, meter. You pegged it. I'm sorry, you can't come back in. But I'm asking for forgiveness. I was wrong. I know. Sorry, I can't come in. And they were constantly on him like this. And Paul says, look, you need to back off. And so, to show mercy. That's why you forgive. is to show mercy. He tells the church that their discipline of the man was sufficient in this punishment. What you did was right. The punishment, according to 1 Corinthians, was to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now in chapter 2, look at verse 11. It's really interesting. Verse 1, or chapter or 1 Corinthians... He says, we don't, we don't have to turn this guy over to, the, to, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, but look at verse 11 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, so we turn the guy over to Satan, and we don't do what we need to do to deal with this guy right we're going to turn ourselves over to Satan you know what happens when Satan sees this kind of thing this fracture of relationship in a church is he uses it to split the church He uses it to split the family. He uses it to split any kind of relationship that's involved in that situation. Okay, uh, so let me go back to number one. Number one in verse five was that forgiving somebody deflects self-pity, or in other words, what we call pride. It deflects self-pity or pride. So this can look like wallowing in self-pity, self-glory, self-protection, and even vengeance by not forgiving somebody. Look at me this guy did me so wrong I'm never going to forgive him. I know we probably all have said that I, I will not forgive him no matter what I don't no matter God can come stand right in front of me and I still won't forgive him. you take those kind of positions. and so uh, Paul did not want any pity for himself and he did not want the church to overcharge or excessively discipline this man because what was needed was simply to move him from sin to repentance that's all, sin, from moving from sin to repentance, and once he's ready to repent, we forgive, any kind of punishment, discipline for sin's behavior, the only reason that we discipline somebody for sin, is for them to be repentant, remorseful, about what they've done, and when we say, you've done, basically, you, you, you're back in fellowship with God, you're back in fellowship with me, I forgive you, I don't, I don't remember it anymore, let's move on, uh, number three in verse seven, so that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So, number three is to restore joy. Now, while we may not recognize it, but too long on the withholding of forgiveness has the potential of driving a person to detrimental actions due to overmuch sorrow. Now, that could be, especially if it's in a family situation. It may be to the point of some sort, some sort of bodily harm, mental anguish, difficulties, that kind of stuff, job loss, whatever. Where it's just like some people, because they can't get forgiveness, they just lose it. And Paul said, we need to restore joy. We need to restore joy in a person. David in Psalms 51, verse 22 said, "Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold with me thy free spirit." It's 51, Psalm 51.12 So restore him or her with forgiveness for there has, there has been enough pain and repentance has been achieved. Enough pain has been accomplished to force to move somebody to repentance and then we forgive. Verse uh, number 4 in verse 8 and verse 8 says Wherefore I beseech you that ye would comfort your love toward him. So verse 8 is talking about to affirm your love towards that person. Is there any person that we shouldn't love? So we should always be able to express some sort of love towards that person. The sinner was put out publicly, but now the word confirm in this verse indicates that Paul is suggesting a formal public restoration of the person back to fellowship with the body. So when we church somebody, we say, look, we're not going to allow you to fellowship here until you get yourself right. And then they get themselves right. We want to bring them back, present them to the church, and say, this person has repented of their sin. You all receive him back in, back in fellowship, whatever. And it better be a, a unanimous amen. Because that's what God is calling for, is a unanimous amen. Okay. Uh, forgiving fulfills the law to love others, right? God forgave our sinfulness and he loved us enough to give his son to die for us, John three sixteen. The least we can do is love others enough to forgive them if they have repented. And number five, in verse nine. For, this, for to this end and also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. Verse 9, or number 9, number 5, is to demonstrate our obedience to God. So we forgive because we're obedient. Forgiveness has the attitudes of the believer. Forgiveness has all the attitudes that we talked about, that we looked at, you know, uh, uh, loyalty and honesty and, and uh, all of those things that we talked about last week. They have all those attitudes. um, So there was loyalty, honesty, reliability, authentic, uh, authentic, sensitive, pure, and charitable. It's positive. It's relatively easy to be to be obedient. To almost you know, think about it. You can be obedient to just about anything in the Bible. It's easy, right? You can. The Bible said we should be. We should sing. You sing. The Bible said we should pray. We pray. The Bible says you you should attend. You should you gather together in one body on one once a week on Saturday on Sundays, you do that. And that's all fine. But the hardest thing for a Christian to do, what do you think is the hardest thing for a Christian to do? Anybody got any idea? What is the hardest thing for a Christian to do? Probably hmm? forgive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest thing for a Christian to do is to forgive. How about dealing with sin? that's also a part of it, dealing with is to get to the point of forgiveness dealing with sin including bringing a sinner to the point where they need to recognize their sin even dealing with a repentant sinner is hard sometimes and to get to that point that's hard but you know what it shouldn't be because we just, we just be obedient God take care of it he wrote Paul wrote for to this end Meaning that the end of full obedience, including addressing sin, discipline is needed in restoring. So to this end, this is why this happened. This is what we need to do. So Paul is asking the church, he's asking you, are you willing to be obedient enough to confront sin, pursue it, and then forgive it? That's kind of what we need to do. And the last of number six, well, there's two more, sorry. Number six, in verse 10, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes, forgave it I, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Number ten is restoring fellowship. We forgive so that we can restore fellowship. If this church was not a forgiving church, this church will be a split church at the end of the day. Paul was in unity with the church at the time he wrote this, and if they forgive, he forgets because Christ forgave as well so the body of Christ cannot function with division, so we must always seek out what we'll hear. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, we should seek out what will, will tear the fabric of fellowship and deal with that right away. And then the last, and then we will be done. Verse 11, I uh, mentioned this already, lest, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. T- so number seven is to repeal Satan. To repeal Satan. So this and the this one and number t- number six that we just got done go hand in hand, because rifts in the church provide handholds for Satan, and he will use them to tear the tear the body of Christ apart. He wants to divide so he can use sin that breaks fellowship, and, and and he can take that and work it to his advantage over us. So not not forgiving leaves a path for Satan to come in. You may not recognize that it's happening, but by the time you recognize it'll be too late that's unfortunate so that's, uh, that's I wanted to get that passage of dealing with identifying what forgiveness looks like, uh, I'll tell you what there's some things even in my own heart that I've had to like okay, well that's what God says so, you know, you think about things that have happened in your past you think, well how did I handle that And maybe not quite so biblical you know, so uh, so I pray that you don't have to go through any of those kind of things in the future that God knows our heart and that we know God's heart, which is to forgive, to maintain fellowship, and to love others and provide comfort. All right, let's pray and then we'll be done. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for the, this passage of Scripture. We praise you for it. We ask now, Lord, that you would uh, help us always to, to, to understand the concept and the need for uh, repentance and, and forgiveness and restoration. And we thank you, Father, that you allowed that to happen. The very first time we met, was the time that you forgave me of my sin and received me in in fellowship to you and allowed me to be part of your family and part of your church. And I pray for that for all of us, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And in his name I pray, amen. I guess that worked. All right, well, goodbye, everybody.